0: Welcome to the Frontline Response to Health and Homelessness podcast series. This series is based upon the articles published in the March 2020 edition of Parity Magazine. It gives voice to those with lived experience of homelessness, those working on the front line, and those that support the sector in delivering services to people who are homeless. My name is Dan Fleming and I'm delighted to introduce our host, John Willis, who leads the Inclusive Health Team for St. Vincent's Health Australia. John will introduce our guest in just a moment. As we're recording during the COVID-19 pandemic, John and our guest will be with us by phone for this episode. John Willis, over to you. Thanks,
1: Dan, And welcome, listeners, to another exciting episode of our podcast series. And I'm really pleased to welcome Jane Curry, who's the nurse practitioner after hours, Homeless Health Service at St Vincent's Hospital in Sydney. Welcome, Jane. How are you doing?
2: Oh, well. Thank you so much, Johnny. It's great to be here, and uh, what a pleasure to chat with you today.
1: Great. Well, thanks for agreeing to be part of this podcast series, and we we do appreciate your time. Now, the after-hours service is made up of three key staff, and they're. In the article, there's a, a wonderful picture of the three of you. So if anyone wants to see the face behind this voice that you're about to hear, you'll need to get hold of a copy of a March edition of Parody. But, uh, and you can do that by accessing the Council Homeless Persons website and the details will be on our, as part of our podcast series. You can get that information. Now, as part of this series, we've chatted to a few staff, Jane, from uh, St Vincent's Homeless Health Service in Sydney and they've all been outstanding people um, and they provide a great service. So I'm looking forward to this discussion with you as well. But let's kick off. Um, firstly, can you tell us what, why, how you came about or how did you determine that there was a need for an after-hours service at the Homeless Health Service? Oh, thanks, John. It's such a good question.
2: And uh, I don't want to be an imposter, so I have to burst the bubble that it, it had nothing to do with me. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> came before I was employed at St Vincent's. So I've I've been at St Vincent's since January 2009. But as I understand it, the inspiration for an after-hours service was driven by a a form of a a health service evaluation that was conducted by a researcher called Conroy. And I believe they're from the University of of, uh, Western Sydney. And the evaluation showed a couple of things. It looked at how the homeless clients that engaged with homeless health, how they did that in terms of were they after support with physical health or was it mental health or um, case coordination or, or substance use issues. And then they also gathered some feedback, I believe, from stakeholders who looked at how the services were running and maybe where the really big service gaps were evident and what I understand they found was that the majority of of contacts with the Homeless Health Service was for physical issues, somewhere in the region of about 70% Uh, and this was closely followed by case coordination so clients would engage with the service to perhaps try and seek a referral or for support with social issues and obviously housing is, is one of the biggest of those. Uh, and also substance use, uh, so about 7% of the samples were, were seeking assistance for uh, for that. Now, from the stakeholders, what was clear was the need for some form of an extended delivery of clinical services, particularly in the afternoon uh, and over the weekend periods. And so a funding proposal was put together, obviously, by some very clever people at St. Vincent's at that time. And uh, funding was gained through the Primary Health Network, and that's been in place for a couple of years now. Um, it's not, not on a permanent basis, so I believe the funding will be up for review in the near future. But the, the preliminary evaluations that have been undertaken have been really positive. Oh, so the, the main idea of the service uh, in a, as a summary really is to increase access to care for clients who are either experiencing homelessness or at risk of homelessness, in the after-hours period, so over the weekend and then and then through the evenings, but not overnight. So
1: not overnight. So what? Just specifically, what are the hours?
2: Uh, so we're, at the moment, we provide a service on a Friday afternoon between twelve and eight p.m. and then we're there over the weekend. So we do an eight till four p.m over the Over the weekend, uh, and that provides uh, a variety of services so we, we provide I call them sort of pop-up clinics really in uh, refugees and hospitals uh, and, and around Sydney and uh, also we provide services through the emergency department so when homeless clients come into the emergency department we, we try and be a part of their care coordination. Uh, we also provide care and support to teaming house. And uh, Tierney is a step down facility from from St Vincent's Hospital in Sydney that that has a number of of uh, residential beds within it for males and females, and we provide health cover over that weekend period for the clients there.
1: Fantastic. Hopefully, we'll get to speak to the manager there, Cameron French, uh, later on oh, in this fantastic. series. He's um he's also got an article in the magazine as well. For so we'll hear more from him about Teeny yeah. House, but um, on, so. Down. So you, what, what actually does your team do when you go and run this pop-up clinic? Do you, do you do normal nursing kind of service or what do you actually do? Yeah,
2: yeah. Again, that's a great question. Um, it's We can never really predict what we're going to need to do, but uh, in terms of what we can offer, so my role as a nurse practitioner uh, provides some additional authorities on top of the role of a registered nurse. So because of the uh, the... the level of education I've undertaken and the clinical experience and and the assessments, I'm able to prescribe medications, which is a a really important component of what we offer clients in the community. Uh, We're able to uh, assess clients for both mental health issues and physical health issues, and we can provide some some social service support, although obviously um, no members of the team are social workers. And what we can also do is refer clients to other health professionals and we can refer them to for investigations. So that might be for some, some form of an X-ray or a blood investigation. Uh, so we, we, we can offer quite a lot. And what we try and do is we try and offer as much care as possible at the point of use, because one of the challenges of, of the population that we work with is that sometimes homeless people can be quite itinerant you know, in terms of they're not quite sure where they're going to be sleeping tonight. And so it may be difficult to catch up with them again. And so what we try and do is maximise their access to care at point of use point of so as best as we
1: can. Yeah, fantastic. I've, I've come across some nurse practitioners in other, other roles and other projects, actually, and research projects I've done over the years. It's a, it's a, it's a relatively new role, is it not? How long a nurse practitioner has been operating in Australia, just of interest?
2: Yeah, it's. It, I, I mean, uh, it, it's an interesting question because uh, uh, quite a, a lot of people think that it's fairly new. But it's that we've actually been in existence in Australia since 2001. And so the first okay. nurse practitioners were authorised then. Yeah, so we're, we're coming up for our 20th uh, birthday celebration in the next in oh, uh, year what? or so. It's fantastic. And that there's, uh, there's a growing number of nurse practitioners across Australia. At the moment, there's something in the region of 1900. Uh, and we're spread across an array of specialties. So most MPs will work in the, the public healthcare system, a lot, a lot work in acute care settings like emergency departments and um, intensive care areas. And then there's a growing number that are working in the community in roles similar to mine, but also further into the community, so setting up their own clinics, working and uh, practicing from GP surgery. So it's it's very varied, and the the whole sentiment of nurse practitioners is purely to increase access to care for our clients. And so irrespective of where people work uh, and practice, the the idea is that we offer uh, advanced skills uh, and we have specific authorities and prescribing is one of the best examples of those and that enables us to
1: provide care to, to the clients. Look, It's great to have your role in this particular area with homeless people. I can see it being such an advantage. So look, as I mentioned before, there's three of you in your team. So you've got yourself as a nurse practitioner, you've got a a clinical nurse consultant and a peer worker. And again, I was interested, how how did you come up with this particular model or staffing profile for your program and and what what are the different roles that you each play?
2: It's such a great question, John. Uh, To be honest, I'm not quite sure who made that decision. Uh, to have the, the skill mix that we do have. But they were clearly very clever, whoever it was, because <laughs> it works really, really well for us. So uh, we we have in our team a, a clinical nurse consultant, and her role is very similar to mine, and she's actually working up to uh, submit for endorsement as a nurse practitioner as well. Nice. And so she, she has the, the skills and knowledge at a similar level to myself. Uh, and at the moment isn't able to to prescribe medicines or refer for specific investigations. But she offers an advanced level of assessment to the client so that she can effectively then coordinate their onward care. Uh, It's a very, very important role that she does. And we have a peer support worker who works with us. Uh, And that's a role that actually I'd not come across before working with the homeless health team. And the, the peer support worker is... Is often a, a person who may have lived experience in some way of homelessness or maybe uh, addiction to substances or uh, has you know has has had some struggles in in their life and their role is to provide peer support to the clients that that we meet and I hadn't realized the the power within the the role and and is inherent to the person that Administers that role, and it's it's quite amazing how the peer support worker is able to engage a client in a way that myself and my colleagues as clinician clinicians don't seem to quite be able to do.
1: Yes, Look, your article unpacks uh, in a bit more detail about the, um, the 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 importance of the peer worker in your team and the success of your work. So, Mike, could you tell us a little bit more from your perspective as a clinician how the peer worker? Um, I'll, I think facilitates a greater level of success in your work. Yeah, I,
2: I've seen a, a couple of examples of, of how it's played out actually in clinical consultations where, uh, you know, I, I come from a very definite nursing philosophy and approach to care and I'll be starting consultation with a client I've not met before and ask some baseline questions and, uh, and maybe that's that client is uh, a little withdrawn and, uh, you know, maybe I I start to feel that I'm finding it difficult to gain rapport. And at at a a point within the consultation, our peer support worker will interject and will say something that uh, will relax the client, give the the client a sense that they're in a safe space. And I think that's Mm. the most important thing that the peer support worker does for our clients and and for and, and that facilitates the care we provide is that they, they're they able to see things that perhaps the clinician can't see uh, at the time of the consultation and, and use language and experience to gain rapport with the client, again, in a way that the clinician uh, may struggle to do in the short time frame that we have within each consultation. Mm-hmm. Because we're spending maybe 20 minutes with some clients Maybe with others, we're spending only 10 minutes. And the power of the peer support worker, you know, talking about their role or maybe maybe even offering some of their own experience of uh, things that have worked well for them or, or simply their lived experience uh, as a way of relating to the client as a human being has been so, so powerful. And in many instances, has been a game changer in terms of whether we're able to provide ongoing support to a client or or whether a client decides that maybe they're not quite ready to have that support yet?
1: Mm. Oh, look, it's, it's a wonderful inclusion into a number of teams, I think, and we've interviewed a few peer workers and lived experience people as part of this podcast series, and so please listen to some other episodes, you'll hear more detail from from those that undertake a peer worker role. But in Sydney, you've done really well in engaging peer workers within, within your homeless health service. So congratulations there. Thanks, John. What, what I thought would be a good um, way of it, it, describing what you do and your team, could you give us a brief example of a typical evening to give our uh, listeners an idea of what you do? What's, what's a typical evening involved?
2: Yeah, great. I'd love to, John. So, let's say the, the evening shift that we do on a Friday, we uh, we start off by uh, arriving together. There might be some follow-up that we need to do on some clients that we've seen in the week prior. Uh, what we'll do is we'll grab our equipment, which is uh, basically a rucksack that has some vital signs equipment in there, so a stethoscope and a blood pressure cuff. We also carry some uh, some take away packs of medicines, mostly antibiotic medicines and a, a small selection of creams and things. And we've got some dressings. And what we'll do is we'll, we'll often walk on foot to our, our local clinics that are very close to the hospital. And we'll go to the the um, the, the clinic areas, and these are uh, women's drop-in centres or uh, they might be residential facilities. And we'll we'll go into one of the rooms there, just a normal consultation room, uh, and we'll, we'll literally just pop up our clinic, and patients and clients will come in, uh, and we'll assess them for whatever we can. No appointments on. necessary. No appointments necessary. What we've tried to encourage the the refugees to do is is to maybe highlight people that they'd like us to to engage with, and they yeah. do that really effectively. You know, throughout the week, as people are coming in regularly to to the drop-in centres, the the case support workers there might. Like just try and encourage the clients to even do something really simple, like get their blood pressure checked. And we found that checking people's blood pressure is a great way of engaging them. Uh, you know, you might check someone's blood pressure one week, check it again the next week, but then the third week the the client might actually engage with you further, and then divulge that they've got perhaps you know quite a serious underlying uh, physical or, or or mental health concern. And it's only once they've gained a bit of rapport with us they'll start to open up. So uh, we'll, we'll do as, as much or as little as the client would like us to do. Uh, and the, the key really is to offer the opportunity for clients to engage with us. Uh, the other thing we do find within the, the places that, that we go and support is that the case support workers they often engage with us and ask our advice on uh, maybe where to refer a client to or. There might be some, some medication questions that they have. So we, we provide support to the clients themselves, but also the workers uh, who are supporting those clients within those facilities. So we'll do a couple of those clinics uh, on a, an, an evening shift, and they're in different locations. And then we'll uh, also engage with the emergency department to see if any homeless clients uh, are, are within the department and then we'll go and provide peer support to those clients. And if we, if we need to, and if we can, we'll provide some physical and mental health support as well ongoing. And the same with Teenie House. We'll, we'll um, join the staff at Teenie House and uh, discuss any concerns around the clients that, that they may have. And uh, if anyone would like to engage with us, then we're more than happy to do that uh, and, and provide the services that we can.
1: Mm. Oh, it sounds, it sounds like an incredibly diverse kind of program and, and quite innovative, but you're being directed by the clients themselves. What, what do they want and when do they want it and providing that in a way that they're happy with. So that's, I think that's the, a key success part of your service.
2: Yeah. So, yeah.
1: so we're now, we've obviously got the COVID-19 question. We're obviously thinking and talking about this in health a lot at the moment um, and there's no vaccination currently. But mm. from your perspective, Jane, how do, you, how do you think this might change the way we deliver healthcare to the people that you're servicing? Gosh, I think that's a
2: million-dollar question, isn't it, John? If we, if we, knew, if we knew that, then uh, wow. I mean, the, the COVID-19 has been such a challenge, particularly for our homeless clients, because the mainstay of controlling the spread of the virus has been self-isolation. Uh, and, you know, self-isolation infers that you've got somewhere a place that you can go to and you can self isolate and that's the very thing that our population uh, actually don't have of all things and so self isolation has been been really critical to any of the planning that's been undertaken to to care for homeless clients during this outbreak. What we have seen is you know a, a perhaps uh, a more aggressive approach to uh, encourage homeless clients to to enter temporary accommodation while mm. we're at the, the peak of the, the outbreak. But in terms of how it will change in also future care provision, it's, it's difficult to know. You know, the, the, the big thrust in for other populations within healthcare has been telehealth, uh, which is hugely effective. And I'm, I'm quite sure that in, in the post-COVID-19 world, we'll see telehealth being a far more prominent delivery tool of healthcare than it has been so far. But of course, again, that relies on a a person having access to a phone uh, and and, uh, having access to a means to undertake telehealth, which is not something that that all of our our clients will have access to. So Mm. I'm I'm not really sure that I can answer that question with any more clarity. But I I think things will be different uh, and exactly how they're going to be different, I'm not quite sure.
1: Look, telehealth has been talked about a lot across our sector, um, but my, my question, and, and not really for you to answer, Jane, but just I think putting it out there is one of the most important things is engagement and how well you engage with someone um, who's who've been homeless or comes from a, a background that may involve gaining trust. And I think gaining trust over a video conference is a more challenging
2: uh, oh, yeah.
1: task yeah. than it does when you're in the room with someone. So. Um, yeah. that, I think there will be some definite challenges there about how successful engagement will be, but mm. who knows? Well, look, final question coming to the end of our, our time, Jane, and it's been wonderful chatting to you, but what, have you got a story or an encounter that you've had over your life or working life that inspires you to do the kind of work that you're doing?
2: Oh, wow. Uh, it, again, that's such a lovely question. And um, To narrow it down to one encounter, I I am not sure that I'm able to do that because there's just been so many in the short time that I've been working in with the homeless health team at mm. St Vincent's that uh my my own background has been in the emergency department and I've also had a a, um, a long career within the defence force as well. Uh and, you know the, the 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 stories and the um the the trauma that I've uh I've had shared with me over the course of, of undertaking this role has has been so, so moving that that in itself is inspiration and motivation to continue to to try and do the very best we can to increase access to care for, for those who are experiencing homelessness and those who are at risk of homelessness. I think mm-hmm. that if I could put it into a single word, it's the vulnerability that, uh, that, that is shared within some of the the consultations that, that we we encounter that is so so moving that uh, that in itself is uh, is, is very inspiring to, to just try and work harder each time to engage people and offer them the services that we believe will, will help them and help them to return to not only a state of good health and well-being but maybe to turn a corner in in the direction of their life you know it's a uh, the consultations are multifaceted; they're, they're not just physical concerns. There's all sorts of uh, deeper levels of well-being issues, and it's very, very complex. The, the engagements that we encounter. So, just having the opportunity to try and help people and try and build trust w- within a very short time frame uh, is motivation enough to, to keep, keep coming back and, and keep trying harder and harder
1: to achieve more for our clients each time. So, Fabulous, Jane. I'm so glad you do, and I'm sure many people that you're working with are glad you do that as well. You clearly have a wonderful heart for this work. Thank you, Jane. It's been a real pleasure speaking with you.
2: Oh, thanks, John. My pleasure.
0: To subscribe to a printed copy of Parity magazine, visit chp.org.au forward slash Parity. This podcast series has been developed by St. Vincent's Health Australia. For more information about St. Vincent's, visit www.svha.org.au. The music track for this podcast is called Slow Burn by Kevin McLeod, host of incompetech.filmmusic.io and is licensed under the Creative Commons 4.0 by Attributions Licence. This information, information about our guests and more can be found in the text under the podcast description. Thanks for listening.